Father, your word is truth. It's meant to cut. It's meant to encourage. Thank you for the word of God that we have in our hands, that we might know you, that we might have revealed to us through your spirit who you are and who the word of God is in Jesus and how we ought to live. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do work through your word in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Time. You're reminded of time every morning when the alarm clock goes off. You're reminded of time throughout your day. Perhaps you're wondering what time it is right now and how long is this guy going to go. You're reminded of time on your phone or your watch all through the day. And at the end of the day, the bookend of the day, you are reminded of time. You're setting your alarm and saying, I've got to get up at what time? Time. Time is a precious, non-renewable resource. And so it's no wonder that we come up with all kinds of ways in which we rightly should try to manage our time. Perhaps you've invested in some resources to help manage your busy life. I've done that. There's often some motivational books or motivational quotes that you might have. I've just went to Google and I found a few. Tolkien said this, I pay attention when Tolkien talks, all we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given. There's another one, every day is a bank account. I'm trying to read my writing here. Every day is a, like a bank account, and time is our currency. No one is rich, no one is poor, you just have 24 hours. And my personal favorite is this, the bad news is time flies, the good news is you're the pilot. Am I really the pilot, though? Do you really control all of your time? I don't think my week looked like that this week. Either that or I was a really bad pilot. I don't know how you plan out your week this week. Usually on Sundays, Sunday afternoons, I'm looking at my week. I'm planning my week out. And I did pretty good from Sunday to Wednesday. And then I get in the car on Wednesday just before lunch. I have a lunch meeting where I'm meeting a friend in the church, and I go to crank up my truck, and it cranks, but it doesn't start. Cranks, but it doesn't start, so I'm going through the checklist in my mind. I've got like five minutes to get there, and I pop the hood, look at the battery cables. They're fine, a little corroded, but should be fine. Look at the battery. Wife's not there. She's gone in the other car. Can't get a jump. Go grab the three-in-one. Check the battery level. It says it's yellow, but I don't know what that means. And then I charge it. I try to charge it for five minutes, and I'm looking at my watch. I call my friend and said, hey, I'm going to be a little late, but I might have to get you to come pick me up if you have time. Cranked it again. Didn't work. Friend came, wasted his time, came and got me, graciously went to lunch, came back. He tried to jump my truck. Again, didn't work. And so I'm turning. I'm thinking, okay, it's Wednesday afternoon. I've got a lot of sermon prep this afternoon. This isn't working out so well. And I'm thinking, Hootie and the Blowfish, time, time, why do you punish me? That was my audition. I'm not on the worship team. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking. I'm praying, but I'm thinking, what's going on? Don't you know that I have sermon prep to do, truck? And so I'm going through all the checks in my mind, the little things that I can do to figure out the problem. 
A jump doesn't work, so I'm thinking I may have to get a tow truck, and I go through all of it, y'all. All the things that I knew to do, got on YouTube, tried to figure it out. By the end of the day, got, my wife got home, took the battery in. Guy at AutoZone said, hey, you, it looks like you have a pretty, your, your battery's bad or it's low, so we're going to get a new battery. So I spent 150 bucks on a battery thinking this is done, and I've already wasted like three and a half hours on this deal. Wednesday afternoon, kids are coming home. Put the battery in, crank doesn't start. Continued to try. And my wife was like, hey, you keep cranking it, and there's something really wrong. That's going to be a problem. So I'm figuring out the next day what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to spend $125 to tow my truck one mile. Should have called somebody. So the next morning, called the tow company, sent it to the guy that was going to work on it, checked it in, $125 later, came back home, worked. That afternoon, JV football games on the schedule, about 5 o'clock, get a call, and the guy at the auto buddy shop, and he's kind of giggling, or I could feel like he's giggling. Hey, uh, I started it right up. I checked this, I checked that, started right up for me. Now I'm really singing that song. Apparently, I was low on oil. My wife, yeah, that's normal. I was low on oil, and I'd put more oil in it, and it hadn't drained down. Apparently, that's the problem. I'm still not convinced, but I spent $125 about a day, almost a day in work, trying to get this work, my time was gone. And yet time continues to tick on. So I didn't feel like the pilot. How about you? Did everything this week in your life go according to plan? And maybe more importantly, how did you respond? How did I respond? Turn with me to Ecclesiastes 3, page 554 if you need a Bible. Next to you, if you're opening a Bible, you're going, where's Ecclesiastes? Middle of your Bible, a couple clicks right from the Psalms. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3, 554. As you turn there, what we've seen so far in the last few weeks for Solomon, who is the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon's looking back on life under the sun, really life without God, just viewing life, observing life from the vantage point of life itself. And he's said that life under the sun is vain. There's, it's vanity. It's fleeting. It's a vapor. It's like striving after wind. There's, there's no ultimate profit. There's no ult ultimate gain. But then he said last week, praise God, he said, but life lived to know and please God allows us to enjoy all these gifts. See, he talked about labor and his toil. He talked about learning, he talked about pleasure, he talked about possessions, and we know that Solomon had all of those things in excess and how those temporal things didn't really satisfy, they actually disheartened. And we still believe we could try those out and have a different result, and yet Solomon comes to that place, and he finally says, but informed by God, those good gifts, pleasure, possessions, labor, Learning, they all mean something. They all have value because God gives them value. And today, Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon turns his thoughts to, you guessed it, time. Time, finite, changing time in view of eternity. Time and eternity. Infinite, unchanging, timeless. And so the questions we're going to look at is, who really controls the time clock? Is it me? Is it you? 
Is it just the world, the machine that we talked about in Ecclesiastes chapter one? Who controls the seasons of our life? Who controls the ups and downs and the pains and the joys and the mourning and the laughter? Who controls all of that? Is it us? Ecclesiastes chapter three. Let me read verses one, three, one through 11. That's what Solomon says. This is the time poem, okay? For everything there is a season and time for every matter under the sun, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And what does he make of all that? What gain has the the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And verse 11 is key. It's the primary verse In our text today, let me give you the first phrase. There's three of them, but let me give you the first phrase that informs all these things. He, God, has made everything, see also verse one, beautiful or probably more clearly appropriate in its own time. A lot here. The first thing I want to say before, and really as a disclaimer before we get into this, is this text is not prescriptive. And what I mean by that is this shouldn't be a list of things you make. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to live and I'm going to die and then I'm going to kill and then I'm going to, no. It's not prescriptive. It's just Solomon describing the different kinds of events and things that happen in the seasons of life under the sun. It's not prescriptive, but it is descriptive of things that do happen. And notice in verse two, notice the primary boundary marker there. A time to be born and a time to die, and everything else after that comes inside of that. Time to be born and a time to die. And he uses this phrase, seasons. When you you and I think seasons, we think of the endless summer, and then fall, and like a month of winter, and spring, and then hot again, the changing seasons, and we often think of seasons in like three or four months' time, or one, I don't, depends on how you farm that out in Magnolia, Texas, but you think about the weather. When you think about seasons, they're, they're a longer duration, oftentimes, or even seasons of life, infant, and it's like our kids break down of our infant, toddler, kids' church, young adult, adult, won't go further. I'll fit in later categories, right? If you have kids, you look, you look at those big seasons and you look back at baby books, you know, and you have a hard time. They're growing up. You send them off to school when they're in pre-K and you're having a hard time because you're sending them off and then they get to be teenagers, got two of them, and you're having a hard time because you only have a few years left. And then your kid, you're watching a show on TV and your kid goes, hey, dad, you see that that commercial, your hair would look better if you just get some of that hair club for men thing. You're like, I think it would look good. He thinks he's helping. 
And then your wife come, you and your wife, your wife comes home with readers, and she's excited about them. You're kind of making fun of her, and you say, she says, put them on, check it out, and you're amazed. And you, <laughs> you buy a six-pack like on Amazon that day. Seasons. But here's the thing. If you look at this list, it's more complex than that, isn't it? What, what Solomon is saying is more complex than that, even though that is generally true. I want you to look at these things. There's 14 pairs, effectively. It's not just these long, there are long seasons, but there's also seasons where you can go to a wedding and dance or go to the hospital and celebrate the birth of a baby and in the same day get that call. Get that phone call that someone has passed, been there. You can embrace with your wife or your husband and laugh and the next day you're crying and there's no embrace. See, there's often seasons where it's interchangeable, and that becomes really hard, where there's the ups and the downs, the ups and the downs. I just want to kind of walk through this to, to help us understand a time to be born and a time to die, pretty clear. So you think about in between all of that. I'm the oldest kid in my family, and so my mom has a baby book for me still. I'm sorry for like fourth born, fifth born, maybe you didn't get all of that or you got less pictures. But it's, it's amusing to my kids to look back at all that and my mom, you know, give in to Tori. But when I look at it, I go, a lot's happened, right? It's hard. A lot's happened between then and now. The seasons have changed and time just continues on. And then he says uh, there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. This is a farmer planting seeds, seeing God water the seeds, and then it growing, and then harvest so the bookends, these are boundary bookends, a time to kill and a time to heal. I think he's thinking about war where there is just war and there is a time for this. But even if you come back from war, what happens? You've got to heal from the things that you've seen and the things that have happened. There's a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. place I grew up, my grandfather's home, the, the, the home that he was born in sits on the hill of our land out in front. And over the years, you, you watch the thing deteriorate. This home that had meaning and value to your family because your grandfather was born in it when generations before that, they brought wood, pine wood on ox cart to, from Arkansas to build a house. And we've used that wood to build things in our own house, it's incredible wood. And so you remember that, but that house has long fallen down on its own. And it happens to be a place where, as a family, where you grow up out on a ranch, you don't have the trash service. There's some bad trash services around here, by the way. I ain't found one yet. You, you, you kind of have a, a place where you put a lot of trash, and it's right next to where this house is. A time to build up and a time to tear down. It just happens. Time moves on. Seasons move on. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. These are obvious. They're boundary markers. Time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. Most of the commentators talk a lot. When commentators talk a lot, they really don't know for sure. They think it's probably the best guess on then what was going on. A time to 
cast away stones was a time of war where they would cast stones to their enemies' fields so they couldn't have crops. And then a, a time here to gather stones is when you're actually removing those stones to plant crops so that you can plow it without the trouble. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing spouses looking at each other right now. A time to seek, time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away. We have lots of arguments in our house about time to keep things and give things away. Goodwill. A time to tear, a time to sow. It's probably likely thinking about in the Old Testament when they were upset or they were sad or they were something had happened. They tear their clothes and put sackcloth and ashes on and then they would sew them back up. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. Still learning that one. A time to love, a time to hate. There are things that you can hate, rightfully. We don't often do that well. A time for war and a time for peace. But here's the point. Solomon looks at that and says, what's the point? I mean, one guy said it this way. Alistair Begg said it this way. It's like 14 pluses and 14 minuses. And so the net is zero. What gain has the worker from his toil And the answer is, God, verse 11, has made everything appropriate in its time. So God brings purpose and meaning to the ups and downs of life. And some some part of you says, praise God, there's meaning to the things that we do, the ups and downs of life, the seasons. And some of you are going, I'm concerned. You You mean God gives appropriateness to death, killing Weeping and mourning, gathering stones, restraining, losing, and tearing. Yes, here's your point. God directs. You can't miss it here. God directs and purposes all the changing times and seasons of our life, not us. Ultimately, we're really not the pilot. He is. He is sovereign is a different way to say it. God is sovereign over all the affairs of man. We don't control times or seasons. He's the pilot. He gives purpose to it. Let me give you some Bible so you believe this and understand this. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Here's what God says. And he's saying this in view of the false deities that the people are worshiping from foreign lands. And he's God is speaking about who he is in relation to these idols. For I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. False idols can't do that. And from the ancient times, things not yet done. We can't do that. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do according to my purpose. No, God directs, and God purposes all the changing times and seasons of our lives. Not us. We're not left either to chance by the machine of the world, but God gives purpose to it. Proverbs talks about this too, doesn't it? Proverbs 19, a number of passages, 21. Many are the plans of the mind of man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. James 4, New Testament, come. Let us say, we're going to go here and there to this city or that city. Rather, we should say what? If the Lord wills, we will go here and there. 
And look, this is the story of the whole Bible as well. And, and some of this is uncomfortable and this is challenging because you have thoughts in your head right now about God directing and God purposing. But what's the storyline of, the, of the, all the scripture? It's God tracing in time and space, God working all things to the counsel of his will. That's straight Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. He works all things, good, bad, changing seasons, to the counsel of his will. And specifically, and chiefly, the redemption of his people. That's the storyline of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption through Christ, consummation in the end, that everything is restored and renewed. This is the storyline of the Bible, God directing and purposing all the seasons of our lives. And sometimes we have problems with God's sovereignty, but think about this. The book of Isaiah says about the coming Messiah, Jesus, it was God's will, it was the will of God to crush him. Isaiah 53.10, before it happened. And then they're preaching in the book of Acts to the Disciples are preaching about the cross after Jesus has died on the cross, looking back and saying, Jesus was delivered. He was delivered up according to the definite plan of God. The cross was directed by God the Father, even with his son. No, God directs and purposes. See, God's sovereignty simply means, it means that a wise and holy God by the counsel of his own will, ordains all things that comes to pass. And I realize there are a lot of questions that come out of that. And we can talk through all of those questions, but the clear teaching of Scripture is that God directs and purposes all things. He is not waiting for us to move, so he will have a counter move. That's not God. God ordains and purposes all the things that happen in our lives. And he establishes them. He's the sovereign ruler over time, seasons, life, death, salvation, history. This is what Solomon believes. Solomon looks at all of life that he's already lived and says, God's in control. You're gonna see more of it here. See, here's the deal. God's sovereignty, rightly understood, leads to a place of humility. Because you're not the pilot, I'm not the pilot. It, it removes pride. And as a matter of fact, when you see God's sovereignty in Scripture, what often happens is you see people maybe not understanding all of his sovereignty because we got questions, but bow and worship. That's what you see time and time again in the Scriptures. Even with the mystery of God's sovereignty, you see people's response like Paul saying, oh, the depth and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his ways. They worship. We got lots of questions, but the response in Scripture to people, to God's sovereignty, is worship. Well, can I ask you a question, though? What, what season are you in right now? What's the season of life you're in? Maybe it's just today. Maybe it's, hey, I've been in three years of, of bliss. Maybe it's three years of turmoil, and I'm asking God, why? How do you do also with the changing seasons that God gives you? How do you respond to the changing of seasons? You got readers now. How do you respond to that? You're going from middle school to high school. How do you respond to that? 
You're going from single to married. How do you respond to that? You're going from married to kids. How do you respond to that? The changing seasons of life, they're hard. And probably most deeply for those of us, and I say us, one of the, one of the hard things about God's sovereignty and him really directing life is if, if you like control, if control is one of your currencies, whether it's your schedule, your family life, whatever it is, this is hard. No, no, no. I'm in control. No, no, no. I've accomplished this. It's hard for performers and people who need control. And yet there is much freedom in trusting God when the truck breaks down or when something awful happens. So how might trusting God's sovereignty, even when you don't understand why, bring some peace to your storm? This is where Solomon got. And maybe you're sitting there going, I still got questions. I got lots of questions. The good news is the next point addresses some of those, not all of those. Because we want to know what? Why? Why death? Why breaking down? Why weeping and mourning? Why? Especially when it comes in droves. Where it's just a series of those things. How can I trust when I don't understand or I don't fully grasp? Glad you asked. Look at this. Verse 11b through verses 15. Look at it. So first, he's made everything appropriate or beautiful in its time, so there's meaning to it. Looking at the poem. Also, though, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. That's tough. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live, and also that everyone should toil, eat and drink, and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. This is his goodness. I perceived also, two perceptions here, that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Here's your second thought. Your second thought is this, embrace, and this is hard to do, embrace the, the eternal God's unfolding plan. And it's unfolding, you don't see it all. Embrace his unfolding plan, his eternal God's unfolding plan in your life because he is good. He's eternally good and he's eternally wise. I think we understand his goodness we know he has best for us so we can trust him. But his wisdom, here's what God's wisdom is. God's wisdom is believing that he's making the best decisions for our lives, whether we believe it or not, whether we see it or not. That he's the ultimate counselor that gives the best advice, not only gives the best advice, he's the best decision maker even when we're looking at it and going, I don't see all this. I see something very different. But you see that God is eternal here. So the second thought in verse 11, which is key, he has put eternity into man's heart. The first two chapters, the reason that Solomon is, is struggling in chapters 1 and chapter 2, he's struggling with, hey, I labor and I toil. And it's vain. It's striving after wind. There's no profit in it. The reason 
in his heart that learning, even though it's good in and of itself, never satisfies. The reason pleasure, think Solomon, doesn't ultimately satisfy. The, le- the reason 2.2 trillion worth of gold doesn't satisfy his possessions, his homes, his pools, all of it, is because God, he realizes God has put eternity in his heart, in all of our hearts. And so, nothing temporal. I know we try it. Nothing temporal satisfies, ultimately. It leaves us hanging. And he comes to this conclusion here, really important for us to understand, that there's still a yearning for more because he's put eternity made in the image of God in our hearts. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a coffee cup verse. But think about that coffee cup verse in view of what he's just said about changing seasons. And here's the hard part, yet. (laughs) So God makes us yearn and makes us question what satisfies yet. This is the problem we have with God, yet so that he cannot find out, man, what God has done from beginning to end. See, God is eternal. He doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end and he can look at all this time-space continuum and see the whole picture and what are we? We're finite. We are confined to time and space and we can't see the beginning from the end. We're just stuck right where we're at. And here's the thing, and this is the hard, oftentimes God doesn't pull back the curtain and go, oh yeah, here's why this is happening. Here's what happened before, here's what's happening now and here's why I did this, especially with the hard stuff. We don't often look at the good stuff in that list, verse 1 through 8, and go, I wonder why God is being so generous to me. But we definitely look at the hard and go, why is this happening? And it's right and good because God has built eternity into our hearts. So that question is not out of bounds. You need to know that. The question why is not out of bounds. He's built eternity in our heart. We ought to go, we yearn for more, but how do we get there? But you can search all the scriptures and you can see the mystery of not knowing all the way through it. You see it with Joseph when he's going through all the trouble that he's going through. You see it in Jeremiah where he's saying, God, what are you doing? You called me to this, and there's no fruit. There's just trouble. You see it in the book of Job, the wisdom literature of Job. How do I deal with suffering? I don't see the point. You see it with Habakkuk. You see it in your own life on and on and on. See, God didn't feel obligated to explain himself. And I think one of the reasons he just calls us, and this is hard, but he calls us to trust in his goodness, and he calls us to trust in his wisdom that is beyond us as an eternal God who gives eternal wisdom and goodness to us. You've seen the trilogy, Star Wars? I mean, if you haven't, we, I don't know if we can be friends. You've seen Star Wars? It's old, like the trilogy. If I popped in that movie... Popped it. I'm too old. If I streamed it, it's terrible. See, changing seasons. It's like I'm still thinking VCR. If, if we were watching that together, and, and I went to the clip in Empire Strikes Back, and you got the scene with Darth Vader, and you haven't seen any of it before or after, you just got that one scene Darth Vader and Luke. Lightsaber fight. And Darth Vader says, I am your father. Search your feelings. And Luke 
classic, maybe worst clip ever. No. And that cuts off, Darth Vader cuts off his son's arm. And he just goes down and the rebellion retreats. And that's all you got. What do you want to do? You want to see the rest of it. You want to go back and get context, and you want to see the rest of it. You want to see Return of the Jedi. I'm going to ruin it. It's way too old. You want to see Return of the Jedi, where at the end, Darth Vader comes to, renounces the dark side. But you don't get that. And that's the way life often is. You just got what you got right in front of you, and you're trying to make sense of it. A, because God has put a turn in your heart and you yearn for more, but it's meant for you to trust him. It's meant for you to go to him, not push away from him. And that's the challenge that we have in our life is we want to know why, which is good and right. But some things you may not understand fully. Most things you may not understand fully. So whatever you're thinking about right now that's hard or grievous, that you can't seem to let go of, you look back at life, whether it's your childhood or something hard that happened to you, God's with you, but you may not fully understand all the answers. My experience is time allows me to see more, even though God has never audibly said, here's why I did this. It allows you to be thankful for where you're at and look back and go, I sure I'm glad I didn't get what I wanted. Sure I'm glad. There are other things where you're like, no, I don't understand that. And you may never understand that. The great theologian Chris Stapleton, I don't mean that sacrilegiously, but broken halos, says don't go looking for the reasons, don't go asking Jesus why. You can ask Jesus why. But we're not meant to know some answers. They belong to the by and by. And there is an element of truth in that. There are some things that you're just not going to know the full answer to. And then you get to chapter, verse 12 and 13. And commentators are interesting in verse 12 and 13. And so some of them, most of them even say, you know, because you're not going to know why, just live, enjoy life, be happy. I don't think that's what's going on at all in verse 12 and 13. Because Solomon repeatedly here is talking about the hand of God, the gift from the hand of God. Enjoy life. Be merry. Enjoy the gifts of God. Here's what I think is happening. I think Solomon has gotten to a place later in life where he can say, I didn't get all the answers, but listen, I may still have questions, but I can still enjoy God's gifts in the midst of not having all the answers. Let me say it this way. You might want to write this down. Not because I'm saying it. I just resonate with it, and I think you will too. I think what's going on is this. Here's, here's your point. Don't let what you don't know and you can't control destroy what you can enjoy from the hand of God. Don't let what you don't know and you can't control destroy what you can enjoy from God's hand. I don't know about you, but I often grind really hard and what I don't know and what I want to know and I have to have answers to. And it prevents me from enjoying God's good gifts. It prevents me from seeing God's good gifts that are right in front of me. This summer, I took a first sabbatical 20 years and it allowed me 
our family to spend time together. It allowed us to have some rest first month. Spent a lot of time rested second month. I dug in a little bit. Dug in a little bit more and looked back on 20 years and ministry and life. And looked back. And one of the takeaways from July for me was, you know what? There's things you hold on to in 20 years of ministry. There's things you hold on to when you look back and it affects you today. You know what, I, I, one of the things, that, the beautiful things that I learned is you can, you can grieve something, something that was wrong, something that hurt. You can grieve something and at the same time rejoice in the good gifts from God's hand. Maybe you're there. Maybe you need to hear that truth. Look at verse 14 and 15, though. We'll finish up with that. I perceived, second thing he's perceived here. Whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added. Listen, here's what's going on here. He knows and he understands. It's not just the things that endure forever. God is eternal. He's eternal. So the things that he touches endure forever. The things that come from his hand endure forever. What he does works. It's best. It's wise. See, God being eternal means that he has no beginning, he has no end, and he sees all of time at once, and yet he acts and can act in time and space. We read our call to worship, Psalm 90. Moses is saying he's from everlasting to everlasting, and a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. He's eternal. He didn't have a start and a beginning, unlike us. A start and a beginning confined to time and space in this little place where we can't see what's ahead, where we don't know all the answers, he does. And he's eternal. And so maybe that makes verses that sometimes when you're hurting are hard, like Romans 8, which many of us know, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Maybe this puts this in a better context. Look at Romans 8, 28 and 9, and we know that for those who love God, all things all things, remember God's sovereign, all things, work together for good, it's his goodness, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, he directs, to, to, for what purpose? To be conformed to the image of his son. The word conformed is active, it's happening, like today and tomorrow, the purpose one of the purposes of salvation that God has graciously granted you is that you continue to grow and grow and grow in Christ's likeness through all things, the good, the bad, the list in Ecclesiastes. Over time, through all things that God has made good in his own timing. Heard the story of Corey Ten Boom. Many of you probably read The Hiding Place, maybe. Woman and her sister, concentration camp, Christians, concentration camp, Jews in Germany. And one of the, if you, if you read the book, one of the frustrations, I mean, you're in a concentration camp. This is hardcore Christianity here, right? One of the biggest frustrations Corey Ten Boom had in the concentration camp, and ladies, maybe you would agree, lice. Bed bugs, you couldn't sleep, you couldn't do anything. And she would regularly pray that God would take those away. But they noticed with the Bible study that they were doing, 
in the concentration camp. None of the guards ever showed up. I'm like, man, God is protecting us. And one day they were out and they were overheard the guards say, I ain't going in there at night. It's too many bed bugs. See, God can even use bed bugs. He can use the things that we detest, the things that we don't want, to bring about his purposes, his plans. And that's not an easy message, but it's a true message. So the question is, do you embrace the eternally wise and good God making all things, all things appropriate in their time? I want to clarify something, though, as we do this. God surely will test us. He will. But he does not toy with us. He doesn't. And sometimes it feels like it. He doesn't toy with us. He's good. He's wise. And sometimes you need help to believe that. Sometimes you need a community around you to care for you. Sometimes you need scripture and spirit working in your heart to trust that. But that's the call. So God sovereignly directs and purposes times and seasons. We're called to embrace this unfolding, mysterious plan that we can't make sense of because he is eternally wise. He's eternal and he is wise and he is good. And I think all of this, God's goodness and his wisdom, come together in one place in time. That we can see it like no other. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, says this about Jesus. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to bring back to relationship those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption. Outside the family, brought into the family as sons and daughters of the king. God appointed a time for his son to die on a cross for you and me. See, that's the truth of the gospel. See, at the cross, the eternal son of God embraced the eternal plan of God to redeem his people by dying on a cross. For your sins and my sins. Do you know that truth this morning? It's very difficult to understand the purposes and the plans of God without understanding this key good news truth. That God has gone before us. And the very wisdom of God has become a man. And he did the work for us, he toiled for us that we might have gain, that we might gain Christ, that we might know him, that we might have eternal life, that we might have abundant life. See, God directs and purposes things because of his son. Do you know that truth this morning? Happy to sit and consider any of these things with you. Happy to sit and consider all the hard that you're going through. As a shepherd of a church, the elders are willing to do the same or find somebody to make sense of what seems really crooked in your life. Let me close with this. 
college, my wife and I met at a Christian sports camp, summer camp called TBRM over in New Braunfels. We were counselors, coaches. And when you gather like 200 little kids together, they're loud. And you, you, when you come together in a place, what we call the Lincoln Logs, where they're all sitting and we need to get their attention we made a statement, and they had to respond, and we told them at the beginning of the week, after the statement is done, that's when you're quiet. And that statement went something like this, and there was the, camp, there was the coaches who said it and the campers who responded, and it went like this. God is good. And the kids would say, all the time. And the coach would say, all the time, and the kids would say, God is good. And in theory, there was silence. It actually worked. If you need something. And those are, that's a, those are simple statements, simple statements of truth. Maybe today, in time and space, in your busy day that just keeps churning and churning and churning, maybe you need to stop. And silence and remember, God is good. You believe that? God is good all the time, not just some of the time. Not just when it's easy, but even when it's hard. All the time. All the time. God is good. Let me pray.